0: Have you ever thought about who the best negotiators in the world are and how they manage to get just about everything that they want? All of that and more on today's podcast. Smart Tools are the next generation of IASTM tools on the market today and a leading manual therapy education company. Their medical-grade stainless steel tools are of superior craftsmanship compared to competitors, but at a much more affordable price. When they started this company, they wanted to make the previously unaffordable affordable, and they've done just that. Visit them at SmartToolsPlus.com. Hello and thank you for joining us on another edition of The Business Advantage. I am Alicia M. Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we're talking about negotiation. Before I get started, I wanted to let you know that we've decided to start a new segment on the podcast where we encourage our listeners to share what they're doing on a daily basis. And we will reply, retweet, Or promote the post if hashtag that's business is used. We want to show you how so much of what we do on an everyday basis has business intertwined with it. Now, let's jump right in. With the ever-present discussion in our profession of increased value, a way each of us can contribute is by negotiating for ourselves. Understanding theory around negotiation, but also what to bring with you to the table in a negotiation are important aspects to advancing our profession forward. Let's start simple with a definition. Negotiation means to try to reach an agreement or compromise. And what do we already know about compromise from our management podcast? It should be fair to both sides. Negotiations can sometimes be seen as an argument or lead to an argument, so it's important to understand the difference. Arguments are an oral disagreement, verbal opposition, or discussion involving differing sides. Though by definition arguments may not be a negative thing, I certainly think that they carry a negative connotation. I'd say the major difference between a negotiation and an argument is the body language, tone of voice, and intent. In a negotiation, an agreement is trying to be met, while in an argument, a point is trying to be proven. Be careful not to confuse those two. The biggest hurdle to overcome with negotiations is the fear of failure or the fear of being told no. We'll talk a little bit later about who the best people are at hearing no, but recognize that there is nothing to fear in being told no, and furthermore, recognize that people innately have negative reactions to new ideas. Think about yourself. Whenever a friend or a colleague or a coworker comes to you with a new idea, aren't you automatically sort of skeptical about what might come of this, what um, you know, consequences or reactions that there may be as a result of doing this? Very rarely is it that we automatically want to jump on board and be excited. So remember that. Being told now at the immediate onset of a negotiation could be managed into a maybe or even a yes with further discussion. In researching this idea of negotiation, there was a couple articles that came up specifically in relation to millennials and the younger generation that has entered the workforce about the difference between empowerment and entitlement. And um, I want to read a quote that kind of stood out to me about this. It says, it comes down to a growing disconnect between goals and the reality of what it takes to achieve them. It's one thing to say you want to live life on your own terms. That's called empowerment. I think a lot of people have jumped right over empowerment and gone all the way to entitlement that's a whole different story. And this kind of jumped out at me because I do find a lot of young professionals that enter into the workforce and really think that everything should be handed to them. And I can't say that I wasn't one of those. Coming out of school with a master's degree and, you know, several years of experience at Division 1 collegiate university I thought that I had everything that I needed to land that high-paying, well-deserved job. But the truth of the matter is, that's just not the case. And though I did feel empowered to find that position, I do think that I had an air of entitlement as well that I knew who I was and I deserved what I deserved instead of A little bit of humble pie in realizing that those experiences that I had at the Division One level were as a student, even as a graduate assistant being certified, they're still as a student. You're not making those decisions independently. You have a lot of guidance and being overseen. So really to think that you can jump right into a high paying um, job that most other people would have to have several years experience for is a little bit of an entitlement. And so while there is the debate of how do we increase our value and and not be so entitled, I think that there is a thin line of being empowered and knowing what it is that we can offer, but then also having that humility to not demand it right off the bat, but rather to use the tools that we're talking about today in the podcast to prove our worth and to show why we should have that increased value. Okay, let's first discuss some overarching principles that apply to negotiating. One, keep the discussion pointed at the end result. Most negotiations are not personal, but more about the business that needs to be done. So with that, understand that whether you've got a great personality, whether they like you, whether they think that you're an awesome person, most of that isn't going to apply when you're trying to negotiate things like higher pay. You've got to find resources and tools to prove your value in the service that you are offering, as opposed to just, well, all of the coaches like me and the athletes uh, and I get along really well. That's not really what you wanna bring to the negotiating table. What we wanna focus on more are the business aspects and mostly how they apply to who you're negotiating with. On the topic of value, one thing that we all have to understand is that as a society, We have agreed that the way we are going to value something is by the price and or the monetary compensation that we've put on it. Look at the example of the salary that athletes get versus the salary that a teacher gets. Athletes have been deemed entertainment and therefore the value of them from TV contracts, endorsements, other branding deals have been made higher because we as a society value entertainment. Whereas a teacher, though they are very they're much more common than a, than a professional athlete, we as a society have agreed that we don't value what they provide as much as we do entertainment. And therefore, We've given more money to the entertainment side of things than we have knowledge and education. And so whether you personally agree with that statement or you want to take on that fight, what you need to understand is that that is a societal agreement that has been made. So walking into a negotiation, already having understood that, whether you accept it as a truth for yourself or not, is going to take you a lot further in understanding why them on the business side of things aren't necessarily going to see the value that you see. One of the most common ways that we as athletic trainers and really society, as we just spoke about, determines the value of a position is by how much money that they are compensated. And so when you're going into a negotiation asking for more money, there's things that you need to ask yourself prior to going into there to understand why it is that you want that increase in money. So what is it about that money that you value the most? One, are you seeking status? Is this something that you know, now maybe you have an assistant and you want to make more money than they do, or you've received a new title, maybe a director or a head or an associate type of, um, title, and that you now want a pay increase to go along with that. So that would be kind of a status increase. Maybe, um, your rent or your mortgage has increased and therefore to keep up with your, monthly bills, you need to make more money at work. Maybe you're saving for a new car or looking to go on vacation or put more money towards your college debt or your kids' college accounts. Those are all examples of what you need to keep in mind when you're going into a negotiation. Is it $200 more per month that you need to bring home? Is it $50 more? Is there a target dollar range that you feel that you need to arrive at in order to achieve the status that you're looking for in that new title. And being able to explain those things during a negotiation will get you much further than just, well, I want to make more money or I've been here X amount of years and I want to raise. There's really more that you need to bring to the table in terms of why you need that increase and how you think that you've arrived at that increase in order to achieve getting it. There are also merit increases. So this doesn't necessarily have to do with money like a salary or um, more money necessarily, but more focuses on perhaps you could ask for more vacation days or a higher CEU reimbursement. This is an opportunity for you to be creative and thinking about other ways that you could be compensated outside of just a pay increase. This is something for you to keep in your back pocket if you go in for a pay increase and they say, we don't have the money or you don't meet the qualifications or we're just not willing to do that. If I was you, I would have a couple alternative options for you to fall back on to say, well, I understand that you can't give me $5,000 more per year, but what if I got three more days of paid vacation? What if you paid for my insurance? What if you paid for my NATA dues? Things along those lines are ways that you can increase the value of your position and negotiate more for yourself without it necessarily being in your paycheck or money that you're able to pocket. I also want to bring us back to the discussion that we had with Dr. Scott Saylor in our second podcast, where we discussed value. He says, value is very much about what the other person has to gain, not necessarily everything that you're able to offer. An example that we discussed with him was while the ability to tape an ankle does have inherent value in it, developing an EAP is far more valuable to the client or to that person that you're providing it for. Mostly because having an EAP reduces liability on their end and because of the situation that an EAP would be required for is far more extreme than the one that a taped ankle would be used for. So understanding the value that you bring to the table and thinking about it from the perspective of what value do I add, with value being importance or worth, is going to get you a lot further in the negotiation. Another overarching principle in negotiation, aside from value, is framing the discussion around mutual interests and not just your own. So let's say, for example, that the school or administration wants you to be present during off-season conditioning, but this isn't something that they're necessarily compensating you for. You have the opportunity to find a middle ground to say, okay, I can cover off-season conditioning if I don't cover X, Y, or Z. Maybe it's off-season conditioning for football and then you don't cover away tennis or something along those lines where there is a compromise that can be made to find mutual interests between the two of you, but neither one of you is really giving up on too much. The idea here is that we are standing up for ourselves, not just saying, yes, 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 we will do it, taking more and more on our plates with only still being compensated that same amount. And the last kind of overarching principle I have here is remove your ego. Be vulnerable here. Being able to come to them and put your own ego away to give them and show them the vulnerability that you have and maybe the uncomfortableness or the nervousness that you're experiencing in going through this is really, really powerful. Discuss with them the concerns that you have when you're going into negotiations. Share with your athletic director or your administrator or whoever it is, where you are having trouble, and see how they can help you. Let them know, hey, my rent went up 200 bucks a month, and I'm having trouble meeting it, working this job, or my kid is gonna be going off to college soon, and I really need to be making some extra income, or NATA dues increased, and I can't afford to pay them anymore. Those are things that I guarantee you people are willing to help you on, as opposed to just going in and demanding more money and not having the humility to admit what it is that you really need help with, you're not going to get as far doing that. So now that we have an understanding of sort of the principles or the theories that we should use going into it, understanding our value, framing this around mutual interests and removing your ego, we can move forward to what are some of the resources that you can use to optimize your negotiating power and what you bring to the table. My biggest piece of advice here is do your research. For an already established position, there are so many resources on NATA. For example, the NATA value model. This was originally developed for the college and university. It is a spreadsheet essentially where you go in and plug in the different sports that you have, how many athletes are in each sport, the number of days or seasons that you cover, the number of travel days, the number of home days, the number of practices. It's a lot of information to gather up front, but you plug all of this into a spreadsheet and it spits out a number that is a recommendation of how many full-time athletic trainers would be needed to cover that many days and events and, and all of that. That NATA value model has now been expanded to include the secondary school. So if you're in a position where you're trying to maybe go from part-time to full-time, maybe you're trying to add a second position at your school, take advantage of this spreadsheet, of this tool. It's so valuable, and it's just one piece of information that you can use in going to your administration, your athletic directors, and saying, hey, according to what my governing body has developed, it is in our best interest to have 2.3 full-time athletic trainers. Another really, really valuable tool is whatever software that you use for your injury management system throughout the year, print out every single treatment that you did. Print out all of the services that you provided throughout the year and hand that to them. Show them how many ice bags, how many ankles, how many band-aids, how much of everything that you did. Most of these injury management softwares also have a monetary value that is assigned to each of the treatments that you do. And that can be added up into a summation for the end of the year. So taking that that and showing them, I did $26,000 worth of healthcare services this year. Maybe that is something that you're already compensated for. Or maybe that is in addition to what you could be compensated for, but phrasing it in a way that shows them, this is what we are saving our community. This is what you are saving. This is what you are providing to the parents and to the athletes of who comes into this school every day. That's something that they could then use for marketing. That's something that they could turn around and have as a resource for other athletes that come to them. So don't disregard managing all of those treatments every day. I know that it can be a pain in the butt to get those inserted, but that is such a valuable resource to be able to monetize what you do every single day. Another NATA resource that you could utilize is the salary survey. Take advantage of the information that they gather and utilize the salaries that are from your region or from your type of setting and take that to your administrators and say, hey, I'm kind of underpaid here, or else gather information from other schools that are within your district or within your geographical area and just ask them, hey, what are you guys compensated? What kind of benefits package do they offer? Is there something that I could maybe negotiate from my school that somebody else is getting? And then there's also the NATA positions improvement guide. This is a really, really cool resource. Um, It's available online. And it's a 97-page document, which is a little bit daunting, I understand. But just to, just to give you an idea of what's um, put in here, here's an, uh, some of the chapters from the table of contents. Changing your employment model, understanding contracts and negotiations, improving your bottom line, increasing your budget, improving your facility, improving communication, increasing your athletic training staff improving policies and procedures, recruiting and maintaining quality team physicians. These are all examples of different ways that you can improve your position, both from a value perspective and what you're offering to the school, but also that it's giving back to you. One thing I didn't mention uh, previously in a merit increase or ways that you can improve your position that aren't necessarily monetary is asking for a new facility or being asked to be placed in a different room or asking for different types of supplies or Anything along those lines that would make your everyday a little bit easier, a little bit more enjoyable. It doesn't always have to be about money. There's other ways to negotiate and to improve our positions that aren't just about salary. And then there are all of those additional duties that lay outside of athletic training. that may or may not be in your job description, but you have been asked to do. Some of these might include drug testing or hydration testing for your wrestlers. Maybe you oversee a sports medicine club or you do something to assist the school nurse or you manage paperwork. Those are all examples of what you should be bringing to the table when you go in to negotiate because not only are you the athletic trainer and everything that falls under that job description but additionally you take on all of these extra tasks that it makes sense for the athletic trainer to be doing but are outside of what you are regularly compensated for and lastly how have you lowered their liability I guarantee you that every single school, company, whoever it is that you are working for is interested in lowering their liability. So what documents maybe have you created or obtained In being able to do this. We've already talked about emergency action plans. Maybe you have a concussion protocol that you've assisted in developing for the school or for the district. Maybe you've created a network of physicians that, you reach out to when an injury occurs. Maybe you've developed some type of take-home letter that goes to parents or you've done maybe seminars to teach them about injuries or concussion management. It could be a myriad of different things, but again, don't discount those types of things because you just assume it's part of my job or I'm doing it for the interest of the athlete, while that may be the motivation for creating those, recognize that they are powerful tools in your negotiation. Advantage has teamed up with SoCal Youth Rugby to provide athletic trainers at all matches from Orange County to San Luis Obispo. If you are in Orange County, Los Angeles County, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, or San Luis Obispo areas and looking for contract work on the weekends, visit our website, theadvantage.com, for more info and to apply. So then, let's move forward to talking about creating new positions. Those were all examples of resources that you could use if a position already exists. But maybe you're trying to add a new position, like a secondary one, or maybe these are brand new positions to an organization. This is a major area that we Advantage focus on is adding athletic training positions where they haven't been before. We've been extremely successful in doing this. We now have athletic trainers in 18 high schools across Orange County and LA County in Southern California and pretty much every single one of these schools is an area where they have never had an athletic trainer before. So, um you know the the primary job and responsibility in creating a new position is education. The person who is going to be adding this position has to understand who an athletic trainer is and what they can provide to their organization. You're really not going to get very far if they don't even understand that. And to be honest, you probably won't even get a meeting, you won't get in front of them if you haven't at least covered that. So, it's highly likely that if you're already setting up a meeting or you're presenting a proposal, then they already know who an athletic trainer is. But Don't take that for granted. Still do your due diligence to educate them about our level of knowledge, the certifications that we hold, our master's degrees, and and, um, our transition to entry-level math. Again, some of the information that NATA puts out is really, really valuable. They created a flyer a couple years ago that is, it's called AT, not trainer, and it's a one-page flyer that on is two-columned. On one side, it has a personal trainer. On the other side, it has an athletic trainer. And it's just bullet-pointed of the difference of level of education. Uh, and what we do that is personal trainer versus athletic trainer, I take that to all of my meetings and just show them, hey, I know that we're oftentimes confused with this. You may or may not know the difference, but just in case you don't, here's a flyer. I have also used articles from news about athletic trainers who have saved lives. Sometimes this is a little bit of a scare tactic, so you have to be careful in how you utilize this, but it can also be very powerful in a company or a school district understanding that this can happen anywhere, and the difference can be made by having an athletic trainer present. So focusing on those articles that really name the athletic trainer and that really emphasize the fact that their use of an AED or their early administration of CPR is going to bode better than just, oh, a a coach noticed it and they called the athletic trainer um, because oftentimes this doesn't translate as well as the athletic trainer was there and they noticed it and they saved the life. So if you can find one or two articles to include in your presentation, I think that that's valuable. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on this because it is a little bit scary for them to think about. The NHCA also has a guide to not only improving a position, but also adding one. It's called their Secondary School Position Proposal Guide. And again, this is a 69-page document um, that is just full of really, really valuable information. Um, you know, everything from why should your school have an athletic trainer to different evaluations of the site um, and then moving on to surveys of different personnel that may be involved in the proposal, um, the rationale for having an athletic trainer, approaching a school board, frequently asked questions. A really, really valuable tool here if you feel like you kind of need more of a step by step and instructional help as to how to develop these new positions. Another thing that we as Advantage do that I would recommend for anybody else is we bring a resume. Uh, Our company has its own resume of companies that it's worked for, different impacts that it's made uh, across different organizations. We have professional references. And so if this is something that you're interested in doing, adding a new position, I would create your own resume of either your specialty in developing new positions. Maybe this is something that you've done at another school or you did at a clinic that you worked for, or else use your own personal resume to validate what it is that you are asking to be added here. And then lastly, develop sort of a proposed plan of how will this position make an immediate impact on what is currently happening. So Maybe you've been able to gather a little bit of information about their injury rates, or maybe you know nothing about what is already happening at the school. But you can still say we can develop emergency action plans. We will meet with coaches to, um, you know, discuss concussion protocol, and uh, you know we can hold safety meetings. And there's things that you can present in a plan of how an athletic trainer would automatically make a campus safer and would immediately have an impact without having any prior knowledge of what it is that they're dealing with. So I promised you in the beginning of the podcast that I would tell you who I think are some of the best negotiators and some of the best at not only hearing no, but also persisting and waiting to hear that yes. Can anybody guess what they are? Children. They are the best negotiators. How is it that with very little power or authority, they seem to be good at getting whatever they want? Here's my analysis on that. First of all, they ask for everything. No concessions are made up front. Simply ask for more and you get more. So next time you're entering into a negotiation, bring everything to the table not just a few things. Secondly, they don't accept no as a final answer. They use it as a starting point. As mentioned already, people typically have a negative reaction when they hear things for the first time. So don't think that a no has to be final or that another solution can't be found. Next, they form coalitions. This is my favorite. Opposite, parent, grandparents, friends as parents, they find other people to rally their cause. And you should do the same. Use your research to find other athletic trainers who are getting what you want or use the resources that we've already mentioned, such as those on the NATA website. Also, they play naive. Have you ever seen a kid who doesn't want to do their homework and somehow coerces his parents into sitting and doing it with them. All it takes is an, I don't understand, or I don't know how to do this. And there the parent is. Take a lesson from their book. Be vulnerable. Admit the areas that you are unaware of and ask for assistance in understanding them. The people sitting on the other side of the table won't be enticed to negotiate with a know-it-all. Lastly, kids are persistent. Their tenacity is what eventually wears us down. As a popular quote states, a river cuts through a rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. Continuing to reiterate why you want what you're seeking and the validation behind it can wear down the argument of the other side. And now, I can't resist the urge to play a snippet of this kid negotiating his way out of a spanking and into some cupcakes. Listen, listen, listen. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can trust everything at grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Not to me. I asked you not to do something no, no, but listen to me. If you haven't seen that YouTube video before, it's hilarious. We will have it linked on this podcast and you have to watch it. So with all of that, what can you do today to make your negotiating power higher for the future? What documentation could you be utilizing or developing? And what questions could you be asking yourself, your employer, or your peers in an effort to increase the value of your position, thereby increasing the overall value of the athletic training profession? Thank you for listening today. If you're liking what you're hearing in our podcasts, please subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud, and share it with other athletic trainers or leave a comment on our social medias. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The If you have questions regarding what we have spoken about here, use the hashtag Q and A-T. And don't forget to share your everyday happenings with us so that we can show how hashtag that's business. Thank you to Mr. Logistics who created the sound that you've heard throughout the podcast. And on our next episode, we will be discussing professional etiquette.